My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Last week, Pastor Jones began a four-week study that we should complete on Easter Sunday of people who played major roles in the hours from Christ's arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane to his resurrection three days after his crucifixion. Those four individuals are Judas, our study last week, the Apostle Peter, the man we'll study today, Pontius Pilate, the Roman official who ordered Jesus' crucifixion, and the Apostle John, who very possibly saw more events than any other human on earth starting from Christ's passion through his appearance after his resurrection. So let's get to our study for today of one of the key characters in the account of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, the Apostle Peter. Good morning. This is Pastor Lane Jones for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. Last week I began a study on some of the major characters involved in the events surrounding Christ's passion, which begins with his uh, entrance into the Garden of Gethsemane through his betrayal, crucifixion, then resurrection three days after his death. And I hope and pray that as you consider these momentous events, really I believe the most momentous events in all of world history through the eyes of those who are actually there, that this study will help you to see Christ's events and the importance of, of them in a new light. So I'm actually doing this same study with my congregation at this time as well, something I don't normally do, by the way. But with them, I have one extra person that I can study. So with the the radio ministry, I can do four major characters. With the uh, church family, I can do five. And this is because on Resurrection or Easter Sunday, we have an early sunrise service at 6.30 a.m., besides our normal 10 a.m. service. And so I get to do two studies on that special day. By the way, if you want to attend our sunrise service. We'd love to have you join us at 6.30 on April the 9th, Easter Sunday morning. We're at 527 Calkins Road in Milanville, Pennsylvania. And uh, stay all morning if you wish. We'll have a sunrise breakfast after the 6.30 service. So we have that about 7.30. And then um, Sunday school starts at 9 and uh, our our normal morning service at 10. Uh, We meet inside, by the way. I know that some of you probably think we're soft on that, but I remember as a kid, my dad was the pastor, and in this part of the country, normally March, April, you're looking at weather that's pretty cold in the morning, and so a number of people are standing outside there shivering while my dad was uh, preaching, and I know I was one of them. At times, you're just kind of hoping that the message isn't too long. Well, when you're sitting in, in warmth and a nice, comfortable atmosphere, I can give you a real message on the resurrection. Uh, so that is how our church does it. Did it before I got here, and I'm glad that they do. So if you decide to come, I hope you'll stick around for the sunrise breakfast after that. It's a great time of food and fellowship as we re- celebrate Christ's resurrection. So last week, we began this study of the major characters in the account of Christ's passion through his crucifixion and his resurrection with a troubling examination of Judas who obviously played a major role by his betrayal of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we saw was that Judas was not a true believer in Christ as Lord and Savior, though he probably thought himself to be one. But instead, he was a classic hypocrite who, even as the treasurer of the group of Jesus and his disciples, was actually stealing from the common monies that Jesus and his disciples were using to purchase their supplies and even help the poor. And this week, we draw our attention to another of Jesus' disciples, this time the Apostle Peter, who despite his love and loyalty to Jesus, abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane 
and then under extreme pressure lied at least three times by saying he did not even know Christ personally. To get Peter's story started, I'd like to take you back to two events about three years earlier in Peter's life. The first account concerns the day when Peter first met Jesus of Nazareth and began to follow him. And that first meeting is discussed in John chapter 1. And so if you want to go there, I'll be there in just a moment. After Peter first met Jesus, he began to follow Christ, but not full time. So some weeks or months later, I'm not sure exactly how long, Jesus again encountered Peter, this time while Peter was back resuming his occupation of a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. And after this second meeting with Christ, that life-changing experience resulted in Peter leaving his occupation as a fisherman full-time to follow Jesus for the rest of our Lord's earthly ministry. So if you have a Bible handy, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up, I think, about verse 35, and we'll begin to see how Jesus changed the course of Peter's life. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to study your word with these folks. Uh, Although, Lord, I may never meet them this side of eternity, I pray that you'll help your word to be a blessing to their hearts, to speak through your spirit and this example of a man who was not a perfect man by any stretch, but who truly did love his Lord and can be a great encouragement to us in many ways and example to us. So we pray your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk first of all about Peter's calls by Christ. And I'm in John chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 35. What's happened is that the John the Baptist has announced to the world that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So he's announced him as the Savior. And so at verse 35, it says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, now that is John the Baptist again, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you see? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, You'll notice that Peter is called here to be a follower of Jesus, and the place seems to be near Beth Arba or a northern town called Bethany. It seems from by reading some of the scholars that they were saying that there were two Bethanies. As a matter of fact, if you think about our country, there's several towns across the country called Bethany. Well, they had a Bethany in the south, and it seems they had a Bethany in the north. And so it was the northern town called Bethany that Jesus was near when he meets uh, Simon Peter for the first time. And John tells us that this town was located beyond the Jordan River or on the east side of the Jordan. Now, the result of this first meeting, when Peter is introduced to Christ for for the first time, is that Peter and some of the other disciples followed Jesus for a short period. Now, this early period of following Jesus would include such events as Christ's first miracle, the turning of of water into wine in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. The first time that Jesus cleansed the temple is recorded in John chapter 2, verse 13 to 22. Jesus' conversation with the rabbi Nicodemus also seems to happen at this time. That's recorded 
John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. There's also when Jesus is beginning to baptize, and actually with him and, and these early disciples, he's baptizing more people than John the Baptist was. And John the Baptist had a tremendous ministry of seeing people converted and baptized. And that's discussed in John chapter 3, verses 22 to 26, Christ actually now baptizing more than John the Baptist. Then Peter also, in that first time of being out with Jesus, uh, would have been involved in the conversion of the Samaritan woman at the well in Sychar, and the fact that Jesus and his disciples stayed in that Samaritan village for a couple days, which would have been very much against their comfort zone. Also, in that first uh, tour with Christ, they they saw the healing of a child in Capernaum while at Cana of Galilee. Now, again, they would not then be able to directly see this miracle, but probably heard of the child's healing as Jesus had told the father to leave that his child was going to be fine. And then also we have Christ's first recorded sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth that's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through the first part of verse 31. And the result of that sermon, Jesus was actually, they attempted to kill him, his own townspeople. So Peter would have been at these different events, these early events in Jesus' life and ministry. But there is a time then after that when Peter and the other apostles, it seems like, also went back and began to go back to their normal occupations. For how long, I'm not really sure if it was weeks or, or months. But we pick up the story again in Peter's life in the book of Luke, chapter 5 and verse 1. And this is when Peter will be called to be an apostle of Christ, when he will make a decision if he wants to follow Jesus for good. And so in Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's the lake of Gennesaret is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. It's a place where Peter was a fisherman. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he, speaking of Jesus still, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus asked Peter for his help. Peter, would you help me out? And I'd like to sit in your boat and teach the crowd. He's getting overcrowded along the shore. And so Peter, of course, was glad to oblige the Lord. He'd spent time with him. He loved him. And so he hops in his boat. You can see him just kind of pulling out just a little ways from land so that Jesus could easily be heard while not being overwhelmed by the crowd. And so you can see Peter sitting there listening to the Lord again and enjoying, I'm sure, what Jesus had to say. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So what we're seeing here is Jesus shows his boat to borrow to get out away from the crowd. And after finishing the message, Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep water for a catch of fish. And Peter's not excited, honestly, about this invitation. You say, you have to say to yourself, why? You know, why, Peter, wouldn't you want to have more time with Christ? I think we're going to get an inkling of what is going on in his heart here in just a little bit. But anyway, Jesus says, I want you to let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, okay, well, you know, it's your word. I'll let down the net. And so they row out and Peter is following the Lord's instruction. Verse six, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So Peter throws his net overboard. It's really, in his mind, as a 
really, this is his occupation, so I'm sure he's good at it. As an experienced fisherman, doesn't make a lot of sense. But he throws the net over the boat, and they bring in so big of a catch that Peter's net is starting to break. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So it seems that Andrew may also have been in the boat with his brother Peter, because you'll notice either either Peter and Jesus or maybe Peter, Andrew, and Jesus signal to the other boat to help them. And so they came. Now, this could be James and John, for all we know. Could have been maybe Andrew was still on shore. But anyway, they bring a second boat over. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, can you imagine that? The boats are so overwhelmed with this catch of fish, probably the greatest catch of fish they'd ever begun to experience, that now two boats are beginning to sink. They're hitting down to the water level. That's how full they are with these fish. Now, it's interesting what Peter's reaction is, and I want you to listen to that and pay close attention to this reaction. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Wow, what a reaction. Maybe this gives us an idea of why Peter wasn't all that excited to go out and go fishing with the Lord. Peter asked Jesus to leave him. Isn't that interesting? Depart from me. This is, by the way, something that was said by a demonically, and I'm not, please don't, mis, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying Peter was demonically possessed. But there was a man that Jesus encountered. We call him the maniac of Gadara. And basically what, what the man is saying, and of course, again, he's, he's heavily influenced by these demons. He's saying, would you please leave us alone? And Peter is almost saying the same thing. You say, why would he sound like that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. He's a discouraged man. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's asking Jesus to leave him because he feels he's too sinful to follow the follow Christ. Now, remember, Peter has been a follower of Christ earlier, just a short time before. Not full time, but he's been following Jesus around. He's been listening. He's been trying to grow. And evidently, in the intervening weeks or months since Peter and his brother Andrew, and, their, and we know two of their friends, James and John, were with Christ as well, that Peter had seen his own sinfulness in a new light and felt unworthy even to be called a disciple of Jesus. By the way, may I say to you, this is one of the keys of being genuinely converted is seeing the fact that your sins are great in the sight of God and that if he gave you what you deserved, you'd be in hell. One guy said, God will save a wicked man, but he won't save a proud man. I think there's a, something to that, that we really have to come to the spot where we understand, I am not worthy, God, of any favor. I am worthy of your eternal wrath. So here Peter is, and his best response he can come up with after seeing this miraculous catch and Christ's great goodness to him again, he says, depart from me. I'm just not worthy to be your follower. Again, I don't know what, what he's thinking. don't know why he would say that. I don't know what kind of conflicts were going on in his life. But he definitely feels unworthy to even be called a disciple of Jesus. But you know what's interesting is Jesus' response. So he says, Depart from me, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So evidently they came over with that second boat. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You notice that Christ, after hearing Peter with really a cry of a heart of anguish, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough to be your follower. He says, look, don't be afraid, Peter. I'm going to teach you how to catch men. Reminds me of, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever read C.S. Lewis, who was an agnostic, uh, more atheist agnostic type of man. He lived over in England. Um, it was around the World War II era where he's, a, he's a, very, a very intelligent man. And actually, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings series, uh, um, Tolkien was a friend of C.S. Lewis, and Tolkien was actually trying to help Lewis to understand, yes, there is a God, and uh, over, you know, helping him to get past the objections and, and find faith in Christ. And so uh, Lewis eventually does become a Christian, and he writes the series um, that uh, very famous, got the several books out, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the very first book I think is the most famous of, of all of them. But in that story, there's a young fella, and of course this is an allegory of the gospel. There's the, 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 uh, the Christ-like character, his name is Aslan, he's a lion. And the lion is speaking to a guy by the name of Peter, by the way, who's going to be a king of the realm. And he's talking to him about different things that he's going to need to do. And finally, Peter kind of breaks into the conversation. And he's just, he's still a child. He's, I, he's not an adult yet. And he says to Aslan, he says, I, I feel completely inadequate to be king. I, I can't do this. And Aslan's response was interesting. He said, if you felt ready to be a king, you would not be ready. How true that is. That is actually when Peter is understanding, I am not good enough to be a follower of Christ. I am not worthy of it, that he actually is usable now. He, Christ is able to take him because he's humbled himself before his Lord. By the way, do you not see in Peter then a completely different attitude than Judas? If you listened to our study last week, Judas getting to the place where he thinks that Jesus is wrong to accept the worship of Mary of Bethany, and Judas is coming to the place, I believe, where he thinks he's better than Christ and, and has this right to betray him, and yet here's Peter on the exact opposite end of that spectrum saying, Lord, I'm not even worthy to become your follower, even though he'd done it a little bit before. I'm not worthy of this. So whatever sins were weighing him down with guilt, whatever failures he had had, since last he had walked with Christ, he at least has a humble spirit before the Lord and a realization, I'm not worthy to do this. And of course, then Christ steps in with encouragement, do not be afraid. I'm going to teach you, Peter, how to be a fisher of men. I'm going to teach you how to catch men. Well, what's Peter's choice then? Verse 11, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. The they would be Peter, his brother Andrew, and James and John, their partners, they all, four of them, drop everything at this point to follow Jesus full time. So we see this, this at the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, Peter's two calls of, by Christ, at least two. Then let's talk about Peter's growth through Christ, because as a, now as a, as a disciple, Peter 
takes this very seriously, and he's really trying to walk with the Lord. So I'm going to jump over to the Gospel of Matthew and talk to you out of chapter 14, starting with verse 22. And what I'd like to just begin to point out is how Peter, once he leaves all and begins to follow Jesus full time, he really starts to grow. And I want you to see, first of all, his growth in faith, and and specifically faith in Christ's power. Power not only that the Lord has shown him, but even power to use Peter personally. So I'm in Matthew chapter 14, breaking into verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. By the way, they're on that same Sea of Galilee, sea that Peter probably knew pretty well, as a fisherman on that sea. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So you have these 11 disciples, actually 12 disciples, and they're out there and they're rowing to go across the sea. And one of the windstorms that is, is actually very common on this body of water blows up off the mountains and they're starting to struggle to get across the, the Sea of Galilee. Now in the fourth watch of the night, now this is like you like the wee hours of the morning before the sun is coming up, okay? Fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now let's just put ourselves in those disciples' sandals for a moment. You're not expecting Jesus to be, this has never happened before. So they're not expecting to see Christ walking on the water. This would be absolutely terrifying. They, they were thinking the death angel or something, uh, some demonic spirit is coming after him. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now remember, they're in the middle of a storm. They're being knocked around by the waves. They look over, and it looks like, you know, we're done. Like this demonic spirit is coming for us, or whatever it is, we're going to die here. We're going to go under. And Jesus calls out to them, Don't be afraid, it's, 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 it's me. It is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let me just say this. I would have never done that. Man, I'm hanging out of the boat. I don't swim very well. I swim a little bit, but not very well. I am not getting out of that boat. I'm with the other 11. We're clanging. We're rowing. We're bailing, whatever we got to do to keep the thing afloat, but I'm not hopping out of the boat and trying to walk on the water. But this is, a, this is the man that Peter is. He's a guy that has learned, he's growing in his faith, and he has faith in Christ's power, and he believes that Christ, if Christ has the ability to walk on the water himself, Christ can give Peter the, op, the, the ability to do the same. And so there he is. He's out there walking on the water. Isn't that amazing? Of course, we all know that Peter began to look around him and became afraid and began to sink, and Jesus rescued him. But the very fact that he got out of that boat in the first place shows us that this man, this simple fisherman, is growing in his faith. Not only that Christ has great power, but that Christ can give him power to do miraculous things. Now, there's another thing that shows his growth in faith, and that is 
in Matthew chapter 16, so it's not very far away in your Bible um, from chapter 14, chapter 16 and starting with verse 13, we have another incident that shows us he's growing not only in faith in Jesus' power, but in, in faith in Jesus' identity as the Son of God. So Matthew chapter 16, I'm starting at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So isn't that interesting? Here, Peter is showing that, yes, as he's been now walking with Christ full time, his faith is growing, his faith in Jesus' power, and Jesus' power not only to, to do things himself, but Jesus' power to be able to use Peter. He's growing in faith in Jesus' identity as the Son of God and states it in front of everybody else. I believe you're the Christ. As a matter of fact, he said, um, uh, he really kind of puts everybody, kind of like the spokesman for the group, which uh, shows us something else I'll deal with in just a moment. He's growing in faith. He's also growing in zeal. Again, think of the zeal that gets him out of that boat to walk to Jesus. Think of um, the zeal in his heart to step up and, and, and stand up for the group and say, you're the Christ. That's what we believe you are. Show you another example of, of zeal. In John 13, we looked at this a few weeks ago, so I'll just mention it. As Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, do you remember when he comes to Peter? And Peter says, No, you're not going to wash my feet. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. Um, and why? Because again, he's he's understanding I'm not worthy for this. That this is something the servants do. I should be serving you, Christ. You should not be serving me. That's really kind of what he's thinking. And then Jesus says, Well, if you won't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Because Christ has said, Look, you're 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 supposed to do this. Well, then Peter says, Okay, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head. What's he trying to say? He's trying in zeal to show Christ how much he loves him and appreciates him and is loyal to him. Now, again, there's probably pride mixed in there, but there's also a lot of genuine zeal. You also see that zeal when you come to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested. Who's the guy that steps up and starts swinging a sword against uh, all kinds of numbers against him? I mean, humanly speaking, he's going to die if he gets into a fight with all these other soldiers. And not only that, he's not a very good shot. You remember, he, he just got the one servant's ear, is what he got. So he's not, that, he's not that great of a soldier. He's a fisherman. But he was willing to fight to the death to try to keep Jesus from being arrested. You read about that in John 18, verses 10 to 12. There's other gospel accounts that talk about uh, this man uh, being willing to draw a sword to fight for Jesus to the death if necessary. So he's, a, he's definitely growing in faith. He's growing in zeal. He's also growing in his abilities as a leader. Now, remember, the gospel accounts are written after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, not all that long after, a lot of the people would have still been alive. Matter of fact, uh, Matthew writes, he was one of Jesus' apostles. He writes one account, Mark. He is actually a personal disciple of the apostle Peter, and he seems to have been intimately involved with the disciples. Uh, Luke is a, a personal physician for the apostle Paul, 
who lives um, within the first century easily. And so they're, they're all uh, around that time period. But what's interesting to me is that whenever the lists of apostles are mentioned, Peter's name is always the first one. And I think that's telling us something, that Peter really was the leader of the disciples every time. Also, Peter often spoke up for the group at large. Again, the idea of, of who, do the, who do you say that I am? Jesus puts it forth to the disciples. Who's the spokesman? Peter. If you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me give you another example of this same um, idea. In John chapter 6, uh, Jesus and his disciples have just come through, actually, the uh, healing of the 5,000 is what preceded their time out there on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus comes out and rescues them. So there, this is uh, uh, a lot of things are going on in a short period of time here. But in John chapter 6, this is the day after the disciples had, had um, Jesus rescue them out of the Sea of Galilee. And a whole group of people have come. They want another meal. And Jesus has basically told them, I'm not going to feed you again. And so as a result of this, and he's talking about him being the bread of life, and people didn't want to hear that because they wanted the physical bread. Chapter, John chapter 6, verse 66 says this, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Guess who speaks up? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, there he is again. You'll notice he is speaking up for the group. And he is stating the truth that Jesus is the Christ. We're not backing away from you. So Peter has been growing in faith. He's been growing in zeal. He's been growing in leadership. And he often does lead the group in, in many different ways. John chapter 21, after Christ's resurrection, Peter decides he wants to go fishing. The other disciples go with him. In Acts chapter 1, the very next book, uh, before the Holy Spirit comes, Peter is the one that leads in appointing a new apostle after Judas's death. Who speaks up when the Holy Spirit comes and, and there's beginning of, of mockery of the disciples, the fact that they're speaking in languages that they had never learned, and people start saying, oh, they're just drunk. Who speaks up for the apostles? Peter does. And Peter is the main spokesman for the first message after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and again, showing that Peter's been growing as a leader. I want to talk about something else about Peter, and that is his friendship with Christ. It is obvious that Jesus is very close to the Apostle Peter, that Peter is certainly one of the top three friends that Jesus has among the disciples. Matter of fact, uh, Peter, James, and John are often called the inner circle because Jesus will, will do things with them that he doesn't with the other nine. I'll give you some examples. Peter is with Christ at, at his transfiguration. And again, only Peter, James, and John are there. It's Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. When Jesus went to the house of Jairus to raise Jairus's daughter from the dead, you find this account in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 35 to 37 tells us that only Peter, James, and John were allowed to go to the house. The other nine basically held the crowd that was surrounding Jesus back so they could get to Jairus's house. Uh, another example, 
when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes there with all 12 of his disciples, well, actually 11, Judas is out to betray him. But with those 11 loyal disciples, eight of them stay in one section of the garden. Jesus takes again Peter, James, and John with him deeper into the garden where he goes to pour out his heart before the Lord. And he's the one, he tells those three how his soul is troubled even to the point where he feels like he could die. Who was it that followed Jesus after running from the soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane? Now, get it, they all were wrong in, in, in running from, from Jesus at that point, but Peter will follow the Lord, even though it was afar off. He's, he's trying to stay with the Lord. He also followed Jesus to the place of one of his trials, as we'll see here in just a moment. And Jesus appeared to Peter personally after his resurrection from the dead. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 to 5. Uh, listen to what it says. For I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. So Jesus actually appeared to Peter separately. Peter also had a personal conversation with Jesus after his resurrection in John chapter 21, which is very significant. So Jesus clearly was very close to Peter, and Peter loved the Lord. He had a zealous, passionate love for Christ, had a tremendous faith in the Lord. But Peter also had his weaknesses, despite walking with Christ. Especially during his days when Jesus was on earth, Peter shows a great heart and genuine love and loyalty to Jesus, but there also seems to be a growing pride in his heart. By the way, do you think we ever struggle with that? Well, I think Peter did as well. And one example of this, I'll give you a few of them, is after Jesus was asking his disciples in, in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? And, and they're coming up with all those answers, you know, John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And of course, Peter, the spokesman, speaks up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. At that time, immediately after he acknowledges Peter is correct and actually says to him, the Holy Spirit showed you this, I'm in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So what's going on? We see that Peter does believe that Jesus is the Christ, but he doesn't really understand what that means. If he's the Christ, how are you going to correct the Lord? How are you going to tell him that he's wrong? That's what he's doing there in Matthew 16. We also see in chapter 17, again, here's the man that announces, you're the son of God. He treats Jesus like he's an equal with Moses and Elijah. It's in Matthew 17, I'm in verse 3 now. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us here make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What's the problem with that? Well, he's treating Christ like he's equal with Elijah and Moses when Jesus is the Son of God. He's the creator of Elijah and Moses. You see, he understands Christ is the Son of God. He really doesn't know what that means, how that works out. 
He thinks he can correct the Lord at times. He treats Christ like an equal with Moses and Elijah. And now he even tells Jesus again that he's wrong in saying that Peter would deny him. Now we're fast forwarding to the night of the Garden of Gethsemane. They haven't gone there yet. They're still in the upper room. I'm in Matthew chapter 26. I'm reading from verse 31 to 35. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Do you see the pride creeping up in this man's heart? Now, again, he's been greatly used of God. He's come a long way. He's been growing in faith. He's growing in zeal. He's definitely the leader of the group, often the spokesman for the group. But you can also see that pride that quite easily, quite naturally grows in our hearts, even sometimes when we're being used of God mightily. Peter was also known to speak a little bit too quickly many times. Again, correcting Christ, we looked at that earlier, equating Jesus with Moses and Elijah. There was a question that came to Peter so someone asked him, does Jesus pay the temple tax? And Peter immediately, and I get why, because Jesus is a law-abiding, godly, obviously he's God himself, so he's not a rebel. And Peter immediately says, yes, of course he pays the temple tax. Well, when he met then Jesus a little while later, Christ explained he didn't have to as the Son of God. It's the place to worship him. He doesn't really owe taxes there. But he said, lest we should offend them, I will pay it. So Peter was right, but he didn't really understand the issues. Again, he's just talking, and he had a tendency to do that, speaking a little bit before his uh, mind goes in gear. And again, contradicting Jesus even on the night of, of the Lord's betrayal, uh, saying he would never walk away from Christ, which later he did. We also see some overconfidence in his love for and loyalty to Christ. As he says, no, if everybody else falls away, you know, I'll never fall away. You find the same basic words in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 34. But Peter has weaknesses that he doesn't even see. Maybe if you had come to him and said, Peter, you know, I think you're getting a little bit cocky. Maybe he would have even agreed with you and said, you know what, you're right. I don't know. But I do know this, that he probably did not see in himself that he could be overcome by fear and self-protection. And so when you come to John chapter 18, you really begin to see this. And again, I'm not at all trying to be critical. I'm just being honest of who Peter was. And like the rest of us, he could be subject to that whole thing of self-protection and fear running his life. And so in John chapter 18, I'm going to pick up at verse 15, and Peter's already left Christ in the garden, but he's trying to follow at a distance, kind of in the hiding, you know, keeping an eye on where Jesus is going, and maybe I can figure out something to do. I'm sure probably those things going through his mind. So you come to John 18, verse 15, and it says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that we know from later on in the book, the other disciple is the apostle John. Now that disciple, speaking John speaking of himself, was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. So Peter doesn't know how to get in. He doesn't have any, uh, any standing to get in for to see what's going on with Christ, John did. And so because John is uh, at least is known to the high priest, he was able to get in the courtyard. Peter was not. So notice that it says that then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. 
So John goes over to the girl who's the keeper of the door and says, hey, would you let that man in? And again, she knowing who John was, said, sure. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, are you not also one of this man's disciples? Are you? He said, I'm not. Now, this is the first time that Peter will deny the Lord. Why is he doing it? Well, he's, he's trying to obviously be, in a way, undercover. But the reality is that Peter, just a few minutes earlier, was willing to swing it out and to fight to the death to keep Jesus from being arrested. But he didn't expect Satan to come at him with a young girl, asking a simple question. Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Well, and you could see why she would conclude that, because she knew that John was, and John's not ashamed of that fact. He wants to know what's going on with Christ, and he's, he's kind of got some safety because he's known by the high priest. Now, Peter doesn't have that same standing, but still, he's asked a question, and he lies. Oh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not one. I'm, I'm not one of his disciples. Verse 18, now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So now Peter is in the courtyard. It's obviously cold. So the wee hours probably of the morning, maybe even, I don't even know if it's midnight yet. So Peter's warming himself, and there are other soldiers, that soldiers that probably just had been involved in Jesus' arrest. And so... He's kind of standing there with them, and, and he probably thinks, well, I, you know, they won't know who I am. I'm skipping down now to verse 25 of John 18. Now, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, are you not also one of his disciples? Are you? He denied it and said, I am not. There's denial number two. Lie number two. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. So this guy is actually a relative of the guy Malchus, that Peter had swung at and, and with a sword and cut off his ear. Remember, Jesus healed that. He said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Now, again, let's keep in mind, this is not Hollywood. There are not bright lights in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are torches. And so it would be difficult to recognize a guy in the darkness like that. But Peter had kind of put himself in front of everybody with swinging the sword. And so one guy's kind of, man, he looks familiar. <laughs> he says, did not I see you in the garden with him? Then Peter denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Yeah, he got overwhelmed by fear and self-protection, and I'm not here to blame him. I'm just saying that's the reality, and obviously his lies were wrong, and Peter felt terrible about this. I don't think Peter imagined a scenario where he would do this, though Jesus had told them before the cock crows, the rooster crows, you're going to die three times you know me, and that's exactly what happened. Then we find Peter, after this, being overwhelmed by his failure of the Lord. And can you blame him? Now, let's go back and think about this. Here's a man that had started out to follow Jesus and had done so for a matter of days or weeks. Now, Jesus, at some point, left him to go back to his fishing. And during that intermediate time, Peter has come to the place where He's failed the Lord enough that he feels, I'm not even worthy to be called one of his followers. And so, although Jesus kind of drags him into going out and fishing with a little bit, and then gives him this miraculous catch, what's Peter's response? But depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord, I can't do this. I can't be one of your disciples. And of course, Jesus gives him that second chance, doesn't he? He says, no, 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 I, I'm going to teach you how to catch men. And so Peter leaves it all. 
and he starts growing. It's like he's put the past behind him. Whatever failures he was thinking about, he's put that behind him, and he's been he's been growing in his leadership. He's been growing in his faith. He's been growing in his zeal, and he's getting to the place where, well, he's gotten a little bit cocky about that. And no, I'll never deny you, Lord, and you're wrong, and, and you don't know me very well if you think I'm going to deny you. I mean, that's kind of the stuff that's going on in his heart and mind. And now he's come right up against the fact that I failed you again. Here you gave me a chance to be your follower, and I failed you again. Maybe some of you feel in that same way. Maybe you've had an addiction, an addiction, say, to, to drugs or alcohol. Maybe it was pornography. Maybe it was some kind of other a thing that you know is a sin and it often has crept into your life and you found Christ step in and give you victory and, you, and you've had days or weeks, maybe even years of victory and all of a sudden, bam, you fell again. Now maybe it was the same area, maybe it was a different area. And maybe if you looked back and you were able to really think about the time intervening, the, especially right toward the end, maybe you were getting a little bit proud and self-righteous and thinking that you could handle it by yourself now. And Peter... As, as, as he walks out of that court and realizes, I have failed the Lord miserably. I'll tell you this, I don't think he was thinking I can ever be a disciple again. I'll tell you why I say that. When Jesus appeared after his resurrection to a group of ladies, Gospel of Mark chapter 16, let me read you starting with verse 1. It says, Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. So some ladies are coming to the tomb. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they see this angel, a man clothed, this verse 5 tells us, in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now, why does he specifically mention, tell his disciples and Peter? Well, I'll tell you what I think is, is going on there. And that is, Peter would not have considered himself one of the disciples. If the, if the ladies came to them and said, listen, Jesus said to tell his disciples he's going to go before you to Galilee. Peter would have said, well, that's not me. I'm done. I failed the Lord so miserably. After he gave me a second chance, I can't be used again. Now, I'll tell you this, even after... The Lord restores Peter, and he does, and Peter goes on, and, and is it interesting that he doesn't pick John, who was at the cross, at the right by his mother, when Jesus is being crucified, doesn't pick Matthew or any of the other ones. He picks Peter to preach the message at Pentecost, where there are 3,000 people that get saved. Isn't that amazing? That just shows you how God can forgive and restore and use people again. But Peter, even after all of that, he's not a perfect man. I'm reading out of Galatians chapter 2. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. You see, for years, the Jewish people were not eating with Gentiles. They thought that was unclean. They thought the Gentiles were unclean. Of course, the gospel was breaking down those type of restrictions. 
And God was saying, no, all men are created equal to be treated equal. That's some concept, by the way, that our founding fathers had a hold of because, again, their Christian background. So Peter was would, would eat with Gentile people. He'd been really one of the first ones to do it in Acts chapter 10. But under some pressure, when some Jewish people came down from Jerusalem, and they're eating by themselves, which was not right, Peter joined them. And other people begin, again, Peter's a leader. Other people came over, and so the Jews are kind of having their own little meal with the Gentiles all by themselves, and the Apostle Paul walked up to Peter and rebuked him publicly. Why? Because Peter, I don't think he wanted to do this, but he was encouraging prejudice against the Gentile brethren. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that Peter had his weaknesses. He had them during Jesus' public ministry. He had them the night of Jesus' uh, trials and his betrayal. And he would still have some, even after the coming of the Holy Spirit and God working. He's, he's never going to be a perfect person until he gets to heaven, just like the rest of us. But Peter does become a victorious man of God. Remember, he's the one that will preach at Pentecost, really begin the church age with 3,000 people getting saved. He demonstrates Christ's power, not his own. He's not trusting his own self any longer. And in Acts chapter 3, you find Peter healing a man who was lame, a, a beggar. And then when people are looking at him, he says, don't look at us. It's Jesus that gave us this power. Peter would later speak up, and, and remember how he had denied the Lord earlier when confronted by the girl, and when confronted by some soldiers who had arrested Jesus. Well, when in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are hauled in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, this is the group that had just condemned Jesus to death uh, a short time before. This is shortly after Christ's crucifixion and then his resurrection. But now the Holy Spirit has come. Peter is, is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen to chapter 4, verse 8 to 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by which means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, but has become the chief cornerstone, stone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you'll notice Peter is finding victory in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching, standing boldly for Christ. He'll write scripture later on. Jesus will call him to be a shepherd of God's people, and eventually Peter will lay down his life as a martyr for his Lord. Now, what do we conclude from this? Well, we see that Jesus saw Peter's stability, even though it didn't prove out at first. Jesus knew what he could do with Peter's life. He called him a rock. Remember the first time he met him, I'm going to call you Cephas, which means a rock. You're going to be strong, Peter. You're going to stand for me. Jesus was right on that. Didn't always look that way. Peter grew disillusioned with his lack of consistent holiness. And by the way, that's pretty easy, isn't it? And yet God humbled him, and that was a good thing. Peter was so convicted of his sin, he did not feel he could follow Christ. But Jesus' loyal love and faith in Peter remained unwavering. We see that Peter is an example of a man who overcame a bad past, but also had a relapse into sin. He's also an example of a man who, despite failure, became a great leader for Christ. 
and a man who, despite weaknesses and failures, evidenced a true love for Jesus, his Lord. So since Peter is an example of a, a man who God can use despite his faults, let me say this. If you want to be like Christ, you keep in mind that God can still use you. Maybe some of you have felt like, oh, I failed God too greatly, too many times. Fool, get your eyes back on following Jesus. Get your eyes off of others right now. Don't worry about what they're going to say. Just get your eyes on following Jesus. Jesus had a conversation with Peter after his resurrection. And it's kind of interesting. Jesus says this to him, follow me. First, I'm in John 21. I'm starting at verse 20 now. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, that be John, who also leaned on his breast to supper and said, Lord, who is it, the one that betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, get your eyes off of John. Don't worry about these other people. Don't compare yourself. Don't get into that game. Follow me. And I will just tell those of you who may be very much discouraged with where your life has gone spiritually, you haven't walked with God, you've been a bad reputation, you've, you, you've you failed the Lord miserably, and you think, well, boy, if I try it again, all, the, all kinds of people are going to just laugh and mock at me. Look, don't worry about that. Just get your eyes back on Christ and follow him. But I want you to keep your mind on something else, and that is God can use other people whose faults are very much apparent to you. Some of you may have a close relative or friend that is a believer, and you can see his or her faults, and they seem great to you. And I'm not talking about unrepentant hypocrisy like uh, Judas. I'm talking about blind spots, that's how I would call them, where your friend or your loved one just isn't wise. Maybe they are a little bit proud like Peter could be. Maybe they are bad at child-rearing. Maybe they're bad with their money. Maybe sometimes they're difficult to get along with. Maybe they're late all the time, and boy, does that irritate you. Maybe they have good intentions, but a lot of times they don't follow through. And yet, you know, it seems like they have God's joy and the Lord is using them. Is that okay with you if God uses an imperfect person? God doesn't only use perfect people because the reality is that only Christ would ever be used. No, he uses imperfect people to do great things. Because you know what? God can help a frail man to walk on water. That is, God can do great things with flawed people. And you know what? then all glory goes to God, doesn't it? God can use you too. I pray that you'll let him do it. May the Lord bless you. If you'd like some spiritual help, like counseling or prayer, feel free to contact us through our website. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to our podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Everlasting life and light, he frees.